Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fit Bionics. The Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Today on Over the Ball, we have a special guest, Clemente Lisi. He's written a new book on the World Cup, and we're going to uh, talk to him about it because, hey, folks, it's right around the corner. I know it's the fall. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving and and Christmas, but guess what? We're also getting ready for the World Cup. Um, Some great action this weekend. And, Chris, I'm watching the Premier League this weekend with the World Cup in mind. You're watching certain players get red carded, get, you know, uh, you wonder if they're going to get injured. I'm just worried about everything so uh a lot to talk about today we'll get to Clemente just a a second um Leeds uh, and Jesse Marsh uh kind of a tough loss for them some comments we'll talk about um after we talk to our guests Fulham Tim Ream you and I talked about this a couple of weeks where he's the natural uh pick for center back I mean I always I feel he's always a little exposed on the outside but inside I I I'm feeling okay about that center back pairing, whether it's long or whether it's Reem. I'd, I'd be more uh, content to go with Reem at this part, at this point. Um, talk a little bit about Peacock. Peacock has the games as well as Fox, which I think is interesting. Um, no booze in Cutter. We can talk about that. That might affect you, Chris. We've had a couple of cocktails together. The women, a big 2-1 win, come from behind win yesterday. Josh Sargent scored against guess who? Zach Steffen, Adams with the red card, as I said. Um, so a lot to get to. But before we get to that stuff, I uh, want to get to our featured guest here. He is a coach at King's College. He's also a regular contributor at ussoccerplayers.com. I've read his stuff for a long time. Big fan, Clemente Lisi. He's got a new book on the World Cup and the history of the World Cup. Clemente, welcome to Over the Ball. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, it's a pretty dense history. Do, you know, what, what, what inspired you to write this book? Is it the, the book's been written before, but what's your angle and what's your take on it? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there's a million World Cup books out there. Most of them are written by British authors, which, you know, is, is a little different for an American audience. Um, yeah, my publisher came to me and two years ago and said, you know, you want to do a World Cup book? You know, the World Cup is around the corner. And I said, yeah, sure. So I did it, you know, and it became a big pandemic project for me, which was, you know, I joke around that lots of people got dogs during the pandemic. I ended up writing a book about the World Cup. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you're working on a book, it's a very lonely thing. And you're working yeah. on it. And then now that the World Cup is here, everyone's talking about it. And it feels I feel relevant now to what I was working on for the past two years. So it is it is nice that, you know, people are reading the book now and where people are talking about it. It feels like there's more context to it. It is a very bizarre World Cup, given the time of year it's happening, where it's happening. And we can talk all about that. I know. I think you're going to have another book at the end of this one. Um, but, you know, here it is, all your hard work, your hours of toil. Uh, there's nothing as lonely as being a writer with a book. And you're kind of halfway through it. You're like, what the hell am I doing? Why did I agree to do this? Um, but it's great. Your your hard work is uh, is is come through. And I, I love the fact that you just told me it's it's got an American angle because I – one of my it's one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the soccer it's so english centric that um you know we we have a history in that cup it's not our national sport but um i love the american perspective that's what we try to bring here on over the ball an american perspective to the world's game so uh so is that what you take do you take an american sort of view you have to kind of right 
Yeah, I mean, I wanted to write an objective book, obviously, but I did want to, you know, I don't use the word pitch. I don't use Britishisms. I use American words to describe what's happening, you know, and so that makes it American right there. And I do spend more time on the U.S. national team than I would normally uh, if it was a book written by somebody else or in a different country. So, you know, you read the chapters on 2010 and other places, you know, where the U.S. actually made an impact. It's, it's more than a paragraph. You get a little bit more than that. Um, right. I think American audiences, because the truth is a lot of people I know only got into the World Cup maybe in 2018 or 2014 or even 2010, which I think is the moment a lot of people got into it. But prior to, to that, there's so much history involving the United States, 1950, 1990, 1990, 1994. I mean, yeah. you know, I think is often totally forgotten, which is unfortunate. Well, 94 was when I really felt like the, the bug bit America as, you know, we have the infrastructure for the games here really built in, but uh, I think the the passion sort of seeped in during that World Cup and actually created MLS, which is uh, which has been able to you know put a lot of players uh, on the pitch that wouldn't have had the chance before. Uh, Chris, yeah, tell us about 2010. You actually were on the field. Tell us a little bit about that. The, the mechanics of of seeing of seeing these games firsthand. Yeah, 2010. You know, was the first World Cup I got to go to in person, and I've been at the last three. Um, it's been, you know, an amazing experience, not just for the soccer, but just for the culture. And 2010 was amazing, you know, first time in Africa. And you can really feel the passion of the people and they had come out of apartheid. And, you know, it was really a, a growth thing for South Africa. I mean, you know, being in a stadium with those Vuvuzelas was, you know, it was like elephants yeah. mating. You know, it was, it was really deafening, you know, and I'm happy that there isn't been a World Cup since then with all those horns. But, um, but you know, right. every World Cup unique and that's the thing the beauty of every world cup is the culture around it the history and you know i i enjoyed 2010 a lot the united states obviously went on a good run that year and you know even when i'm in a bad mood i'll watch the donovan goal against algeria just to make me feel better so i love it i love it yeah, go ahead and and, and clemente you, you sp- tell tell our listeners you, you you've obviously interviewed a few a few some of the great names in football and in, in soccer tell us a little bit about that and 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 who who really caught your attention with some of the things that they added to your story? Yeah, no, over the years, I've done so much reporting that, you know, when you're a reporter, and you have lots of notes, you, a lot of stuff doesn't get used. And I thought, well, this is great for this book. I can go and use the stuff I, I didn't use, you know, but back in 2010 in South Africa, I interviewed Romario and he was an interesting character. I mean, sort of, you know, very brash, a lot of swagger, you know, he was basically, you know, uh, uh, talking down on Baggio, and it was it was funny, you know. Basically, you know, I, I, <laughs> Baggio was the best player in the world at the time. He was like, yeah, you know, but I won. I took home the cup. He didn't, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, and then I talked to uh, Roberto. That's called that. That's called the striker, Clemente. That cocky swagger. Yeah, and then talking to people like Donadoni and Baldini, talking about 1990. You know, when they were on a on a roll, and then once they got to Naples and the whole game with Argentina, you know, and I, I tell people now, you know, that Argentina Italy semifinal in 1990 is seminal because, you know, that stadium they played in is named after Maradona now. So that tells you a little bit about the adversity that Italy was facing. Even 30 years later, you look back and go, wow, that was a bigger deal than even at the time we thought it was. So, you know, speaking to all these different players, one person I spoke with during the, uh, during the writing of the book, during the pandemic was Rai played for Brazil and he was number 10 sure. in 1994 and he was basically dropped off the team after the group stage and replaced with, you know, Romario, Babeto, those guys. And, you know, he never basically got back on the squad. And it was the first time that a Brazil team had won the world cup without a number 10, he wore the number 10 Jersey. Right. And so I, I, I try to talk to people who also didn't get all the attention at the time. So I wanted to hear the backstories 
you know, the, the, the other backstory that was amazing is the, is the whole Ronaldo 1998, you know, saga at the final and getting sick and listening to all this testimony because it became a, a big deal in Brazil. It became a court case, you know, because the argument at the time was that Nike had forced Brazil to play Ronaldo and he wasn't fit, right? He had had like an epileptic seizure right before the game. Um, and just getting into all that stuff, people forget about it. But at the time, it was it was a really big deal. You know, obviously, France won that World Cup. So, yeah, but I, yeah, I was at that World Cup in France, and it's like we almost never got an answer to that one. So, does your book uh, uncover some new clues as to what really happened to Ronaldo that day? Yeah, you know, it turns out that you know Nike had nothing to do with it, even though it, the Brazilian authorities did discover that um, when Brazil would go on these tours. Prior to the World Cup, they, they would be, you know, Nike would force them to field certain players and say, look, you have to have, sure, you know, like, Ronaldo, like the NBA. Yeah. yeah. Roberto Carlos, they need to be on the squad. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of going to Saudi Arabia or England and playing a game, a friendly? So that was right. true. The truth is, in the final, Nike was found, did not force it. Look, if you're the coach of Brazil and, and the doctors tell you, look, he's good to go, and even though he got sick hours earlier, you're going to field them. Which they did. I mean, he was a non-factor, as you, if you recall, and yeah. one zero. But he was a zombie, you know, in that in that in that World Cup. And now he made up for it four years later in 02 in Japan, Korea. But but yeah, we never got resolution. I mean, Nike got off the hook, you know, as far as the Brazilian authorities were concerned. I mean, you know, who knows what the truth is? But we never got to the truth. What we what I did discover was that you know Ronaldo was in worse shape than we thought. I think. Um, what was it really mental or, or health, uh, physical? Because what everyone had sort of intimated was the pressure of the World Cup being on him in Brazil, your whole country thinking about it. I mean, I, we can basically argue, Clemente, that the, the same thing happened to Neymar. He was just overwhelmed by the sheer pressure that the country puts on him. Yeah, and look, Brazil is one of those countries where 130 million people think they're the national team coach. So I get it, you know, and, and I think it was, it <laughs> yeah. was definitely the pressure that got to him. And so, you know, in that sense, yeah, you know, and I'd be curious to see what, what this Brazil team does and how Neymar deals with the pressure this time around. Because for him, you know, it's like Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. It's a do-or-die tournament for these guys, so. Yeah, you mentioned Rai being, you know, dropped from the squad. I mean, Firmino's not on the squad right now. You know, he's playing for Liverpool, and he's a magician with the ball. I, I mean, this is the – your cup runneth over, I guess, and these are decisions that uh, the United States hasn't been fortunate enough to have. Chris? Yeah, I mean, going back to that mental health issue or the anxiety or the panic attack with uh, mm-hmm. with Ronaldo, like, you know, nowadays I think we'd have enough information to say we would never put that person on the field. You know, well, and I understand there's pressure, but still, right? I mean, we live in a world today where, you know, we live in a CTE world and other factors of health and mental health. But we would also, what would also happen in that case is, you know, somebody in the Brazil camp would tweet that out, right? I mean, that wasn't the case in 98. You know, the, the thing that got journalists right. kind of confused in 98 was that he wasn't on the squad sheet. You know, they, I think they had put Edmundo on there as opposed to Ronaldo. And everyone was like, two hours before kickoff, what's going on? And then they scratched that and put him in. So, you know, that was sort of back then you had to read the tea leaves. Today it would be on Instagram and it would be a totally different story. And you're right, the pressure. You know, we, we live in a world today where people are more cognizant of, of anxiety and doctor, you know, teams now have doctors and shrinks and all that kind of stuff. Not back in 98. Right. I know it's only not long ago, but it, it's really a stone age compared to what's going on today. So. Uh, even with physical therapy and, you know, we talk about players being in the red zone as far as their physicality and it's being monitored, all this stuff that we didn't have back in the war of 1812 when I was playing Clemente. Um, you, you know, we've had Bob Lee on this show a, a bunch. He's a friend of ours. Um, and you mentioned the South African World Cup. And 
I think that that cup, especially for me, speaks to the power of this game, how we saw how the, the country was opened. They were celebrating the, this game. Uh, stadiums were built. You know, railroads were extended. Everything. It, it was such a such a great love fest. I, I feel like coming into this one is the exact opposite. It's sort of like the underbelly of uh, the awarding of the cup. And it did cost Seth Blatter his job. But uh, do, do you see these two, those two as being diametrically opposed? And, and what are your expectations for this, basically, this cup and cutter? Yeah, look, I understand for the mainstream press, you know, who doesn't cover soccer or the sport, that the main storyline is how is this World Cup going to work out in a predominantly Muslim nation with all these mm-hmm. rules and laws and no drinking and all this stuff? I get all that. You know, that's a big talking point. Yeah. I do think like every World Cup that once the games start and people get so involved in, in the storylines on the field that a lot of the stuff off the field will kind of take a back seat, I think. But I think it'll be there. I think we live in a yeah. more politically attuned climate. I mean, look, the world has changed a lot in 12 years. And I think some of the players, you know, have spoken out in the last couple of days saying, you know, we want to show solidarity with human rights and other issues. But I think some players have, are thinking, too, you know, we've had 12 years to, to to rectify this and we never did. You know, FIFA didn't take the World Cup from Qatar. I had a bet going that they would have done that five years ago and they never did. Right. And so the idea now to say, well, we have to, you know, to put the burden on the players to protest seems a little wrong. I think the players are. Or have so much going on now, but there's so much pressure on them to succeed on the field, but also to be vocal about, you know, about other things. And it, it's complicated. I think for the soccer fans, we're going to be focused on, on soccer and right. the, the main right. press and the fair weather fans and the other people who just dip in, they're going to care about what's going on off the field, but it will be a culture clash. I hope ultimately it'll be a positive thing for everybody. Chris. Yeah, and congrats again on the book. It's, there's so much in there, and for any soccer fan, I think they'll they'll love picking it up and getting through it, especially now, and, and if not right after the World Cup. So, you know, one of the things that that stood out to me is the context of what Jesse Marsh said recently about, you know, how international soccer and club soccer are, you know, they're different, you know, and and I'm curious in how you see that having having written such a thorough book on the World Cup and 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 interviewed so many people there. Did that come out at all? Like the number of games players have to play nowadays and how the sport how those two competitions might be slightly different? Yeah, no, look, your first part of the question is interesting in that in terms of club soccer versus national team. I, I use that 1990 semifinal again. You know, the, the fans in Naples, like anybody who roots for their club team, they're more attached to the club team than they are the national team. National team is something that, something that plays every once in a while. But club team is where you spend every Sunday or every Saturday, you know, pouring your heart. So I, I understand how allegiances are torn often in that regard. Right. Um, you know, this World Cup is interesting because it is happening kind of mid-season, and I think the players are going to be in great form. And I think as a result, we're going to have maybe the best World Cup we're ever going to see on the field. Because, you know, when it's played in June, it's after 10 months of a long schedule, and this is going to be right at the peak of their powers. So I, I do think that's the best part of the, having the World Cup in November. The negative part, obviously, is the fact that players got injured. I mean, this weekend, if you're watching PSG, you're probably holding your, you know, gritting your teeth, hoping that Neymar doesn't come down or Messi doesn't break a leg or something, right? So that's the bad part, the fact that there's no Pogba or N'Golo Kante, you know, and other players that are missing. We should be lucky the United States has, has gone on pretty unscathed. They have a pretty full squad with no injuries going in, which is a positive, I think. You play to not get hurt. What happens, Chris? Right, Coach? You get hurt. What that's what is, happens. What happens is City loses <laughs> when you yeah, play not exactly. to get hurt. So um, this is interesting. So you you have studied the history of the World Cup. You're you're 
we have Cutter coming up. It's changed the the sort of the dynamics. The world has changed, as you mentioned, in twelve years. Uh, do you see the World Cup being awarded to maybe the same two three places, uh, and instead of trying to spread the wealth like that? No, I, I do think FIFA's mission has always been to try to spread the World Cup to places that, you know, FIFA is about growing the sport. And FIFA's cash cow is the World Cup, which only happens every four years, which is why they wanted to have it every two years, right? Which that got right. shut down for now. But I think in the future, you're going to see places like Saudi Arabia, China, India, interested in the World Cup. And when you expand to 48 teams, the chances of having those teams even qualify is great. And those are markets that they really want to open up. You know, back in 2010, it was about opening up Africa some more. Um, now I think it's opening up to parts of Asia that they have never been in. I mean, China is a huge market and FIFA really wants to get in there, whether it's hosting a FIFA Club World Cup or some other type of tournament. I mean, Qatar is already going to host the Asian Cup next year. Because the truth is, Qatar is a small country with a very, you know, sort of small domestic league. And they have all these new stadiums. They need to use them for something. So I think I think FIFA is a, a, a spread the wealth type of organization. Because probably yeah. because they have to keep people in power. That's part of it, you know, and you vote, right, right. Vote, vote trading there, which has always been the case. But I, I do think, you know, coming near you, you know, the Women's World Cup is going to be in Australia. That's also a place that has not never hosted a major tournament. So I do think they want to spread the wealth. I think a big a big determinant of that will be how it goes in Qatar, you know, because we, you know, talking about South Africa as well, as opposed to this one. It seemed to me, you know, when I was in France, let's say, uh, watching the World Cup, it was a love fest. You had Scottish guys in kilts dancing with uh, guys from Cameroon, and it was just wonderful to watch. And all you had heard about was the the, the troubles that were going to happen. And they didn't happen, of course, until the English showed up in Marseille and um, started to drum up some trouble. But I always felt that this was uh, that the world's game and that we all become uh, unified through it. Uh, in a celebration of your individualism as a country. I think the one problem with, with Qatar is like, they, you know, you have to sign something about, I think, I don't know if you still have to sign this, but saying uh, you can't have, you can't be gay. Uh, you can't drink alcohol. Um, you know, there's going to be certain things that I think are going to run up against. There are going to be some problems there. Do you anticipate that? Yeah. You know, just, just, you know, I was comparing it to Russia when I was there four years ago. And the Russians are pretty strict too, in terms of law and order. Yeah. And, you know, English fans are drinking in the streets and you can tell the Russian police and soldiers were kind of holding back. And the thought process, I think, there was, look, in a couple of days and a week, they'll be gone. In, Saudi, in, a, in Qatar, it's different because it's it's a religious thing, not so much a law and order thing. It's it's part of who they are. I think the right. untold story really is the untold story really is the fact that in Qatar, there's a shift between people who want the World Cup and want to open more and people who don't. And we see this in Iran, too. So I think that there's internal debate in, in Qatar that we in the West don't really know about that I think is going to be interesting to see the push-pull. They want to open up to the world, but they also don't want their mores to be changed. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the, with drinking, especially now. Drinking is allowed in the stadiums again, apparently, but they, they're going to have separate fan zones, which reminds me a little bit of the Salt Lake City Olympics in 2002, where you can only drink in certain areas. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to be talk for the final week of the World Cup. And when I book my hotel, they asked me, do you want a drinking hotel or non-drinking hotel? <laughs> you know? They didn't. They wouldn't have to ask me. Look at my name. Um. <laughs> you know, there's going to be, I think, two parallel World Cups going on at the same time. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the locals think, you know, and, and whether or not the Western media even talks to those people, you know. So we'll see. Yeah, it should be it should be very interesting. Well, it's well, it's a great book full of of all kinds of stuff. How did you get interested in soccer? Were you a player growing up? Did you play in the collegiate level or just 
just oh, in the game just drawn to you? Yeah, I played in high school. I went to LaSalle Academy, which is an all-boys Catholic high school in New York City, and I played there. Um, but I grew up, you know, when I was six upper, years upper old. Upper West Side, right? Upper West Side? Well, they're on the Lower East Side, right. All right, yeah. But, I, uh, wasn't far off. I wasn't far off. <laughs> I, was lucky enough, <laughs> I was lucky enough to be six years old in, in 1982 when, and in Italy on vacation when, the, when Italy won the World Cup. And to see all these grown men crying and people in the streets waving flags – you know, at that age, you're really impressionable, and I thought, "Wow, right. this, is, this is for me." And so I got into soccer that way. And, it's know, like a Bronx like, tale. Yeah, like it's like a Bronx tale. Like, you know, you're oh, nobody got killed. Nobody got killed. <laughs> nobody got. But women were wearing black, so I knew it was a big deal when Italy, <laughs> Italy lost. Oh uh, well, Clemente, when do you take off uh, for Qatar? So I, I go the final week. For the semifinals and the final and third place game, I'll, I'll go then, you know. But in the meantime, I'll be like all of you glued to my TV and like a hermit, you know. Usually, I do it in the summer, so I'm going to be doing it in November. Which, by the way, is probably better given how cold it is outside in New York now. So, well, um, it was 77 degrees in, in New York City last weekend. So, and it was that's 40 I degrees, think 60, yeah, 40 degrees today. Yeah, that's why I moved. Come on, take all this craziness, but you know, even the time zones, even the 5 a.m. games, I'll probably be up for those too. So, it'll, it'll well, be we all will. Bit, we all will. It'll be a it's bit of a fun. Yeah, totally. It'll be great. So, Clemente, uh, give us your predictions. What, what's your, uh, what, who do you think is going to win? And then what's your dark horse? Okay. So, uh, my prediction to win it all is Argentina. I think it's going to be an Argentina England final. Um, dark horse to go far, I think Denmark. Denmark, nice. It's a good so we pick. Got a little. We have a little Falkland Islands rematch, and then we get the the uh, Denmark. Nice. The whole storyline with Christian Eriksen and, and the whole and the Danish team did pretty well at the Euros. I just think that they have that momentum um, going into this tournament. I, I think Argentina is a stacked squad. I went to see them play Jamaica in New York, and you know they looked mediocre, and then Messi comes in and just like Maradona can change the game. You know, with a couple right. of passes. I, st- I still think he's got that, you know. But I, I think that Clemente, I think that that was one of their problems before. They uh, kind of like in the early uh, Michael Jordan days, where they just give him the ball and watch him, and then people stop running off the ball. And then how do you you do that for ninety minutes? So um, it's it's great to hear because Argentina is always stacked, uh, you know, with with great yeah, players. Minus, yeah, minus like an internal implosion like four years ago or whatever. Then I think they'll be fine. But if there's a a, a coach mutiny or something, then forget it. You know, which could always happen with the Argentines. You know, <laughs> well, it's going to happen with somebody over in, in Qatar. I guarantee you. So, uh, how do you think the U.S. is going to do? I think the U.S. will finish second, get out of the group, and I think then they'll probably run up against the Dutch, and then you know it'll be tougher then. But I do think they'll come second. The, the, the truth is, England is a favorite to get out of the group to win it, and then you know uh, Wales, Iran, and the U.S. All those three countries think they can finish second, but I think the U.S. has players and the legs to do it. I think they'll finish second. All right. Well, Clemente, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball. It's a great new book. Check it out, Clemente Lisi. Uh, what's the What's the full title of it, Clemente? Uh, the FIFA World Cup: A History of the Planet's uh, Biggest Sporting Event. History of the Planet's Biggest Sporting Event. It's coming up in a couple of weeks, folks. This is a great, exhaustive history on what uh, what happened in the cup and all the stories and some of the backstories and some of the stuff no one's ever heard of. So, uh, Clemente Lisi, thank you so much uh, for uh, for covering the World Cup for us in such depth. And uh, best of luck in Qatar and best of luck with your predictions. I'd like to see the U.S. in the finals, though. We'll see against Argentina. How would that be? It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be all right. Great. Thanks, Clemente. Thank you. Have fun at the drinking hotel. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, he actually never answered that one, Chris, did he? So uh, um, <laughs> he winked. All right. So, 
Thanks, Coach. So, um, so Chris, you're you're going to be watching it on the West Coast, the the Cup. It's um, uh, what two in the morning? I think some of it. You can have the uh, the yeah, you know, just looking at the, just looking at that today. All the time zones changes and all that stuff, and uh, you know, it's exciting when you print off the schedule for the first time and you figure out how you're going to tackle the days and which matches you feature and which ones you right. definitely want to see. I mean, it's it's something you do every every four years, and even now, like I'm at a point where I'll print it off for my kids and they'll create their schedule, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, you know, so Clemente's book, it was, uh, it was really interesting. I mean, look, I, I think Americans are sort of uh, isolated here. And I think this is the type of book you, if you read, you could see like the effects that it has on a country. I mean, someone wins the Super Bowl. We have one city that is ecstatic. You have Olympics, but you have different events within an Olympics. Uh, I always said the World Cup is like the Olympics meets the Super Bowl. And it's your country. It's also nationality. So it's, uh, you know, a, a book like this shows you the effect that it has. Like Brazil, unfortunately, when they lost in the cup and they had like suicides that were actually traced to the to the game. You know, just uh, in Colombia where the guy gets shot, um, that story, they were it, there wasn't a quid pro quo there with him getting shot, but just the passion that certain countries have for it. But, you know, what I, I didn't get into a little bit more with Clemente was just basically – the respect of other people's cultures, I understand that. So the hard part is what I noticed with the French World Cup when it was there, it was everybody embraced each other's culture. I hope that happens in Qatar and and I hope, you know, nothing um, sort of – because look, I was in Marseille when the English showed up and it was like a love fest until they got there and then there were fights and riots and breaking shit and it was it was uh, in their in their culture to do that. So, um, yeah, you know, I, and then I think, I think like the drinking and then the homosexuality and all this stuff, like, wow, like, you know, th- these are people coming from free Western countries. It's, it's not going to go well. And I think FIFA should have considered that ahead of time. Yeah. Way too late for that. I, yeah. You know, yeah. I no, even, I know. Even some of the recent complaints about, you know, the dynamics there, it's too late. I mean, this, this is, this is going to happen. You know, you ask yourself and what you're saying, I agree is like, you hope it's not a powder keg. You know, you don't want anything right. to go wrong because uh, that would be such a negative mark on, on the on our great the game and our, and our yeah. global game, right? Uh, but right. I also think Clemente's point is, is I think, and I'm hopefully it's right, is that once the games start, hopefully the football yeah. takes over and those storylines are the real storylines. And you have Messi's last World Cup likely and Ronaldo's last World Cup are likely. And even Neymar is saying, hey, I don't know if I'll get another one. So, you know, you have these great, great players, these iconic players Potentially in their final World Cup, and hopefully that's where the story stays. And Messi, this is Messi's shot right here, greatest player of all time. And um, you know, it was interesting to hear Clemente say that maybe it's Argentina's time. I think what's interesting is you know you have the Europe, and then you have the um, the different hemispheres where you know the other teams generally win. And this time it's it's in it's in Africa, so it's uh, that's kind of out of the out of the equation. Um, so this weekend, watching Premier League. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jesse Marsh a little bit. My heart breaks for that team because they work their ass off. They play well. They play at the level of the top tiered teams when they play top tiered teams, giving them a hell of a fight. And then when they play middle and lower, they're they're losing too. So, um, what does that coach do? Well, he's done a good job of doing playing really good games against some of the best players in the, in the best teams in the Premier League. So, you know. 
getting a result against Liverpool, getting a result against Chelsea, and then now playing a tough Tottenham team and going toe-to-toe. So, like, I I think he's saving his job, quote-unquote, in terms of the optics of it. Um, The reality is he needs points, you know, to keep himself and and to keep Leeds above the relegation zone, and that's ultimately going to be what gets decided. But in terms of creating a narrative for keeping his job, he's done a really, really good job of that. I mean, that game went back and forth. It was a wild game, great for the fans. Yeah. Yeah, time out. I think, cut, guys. I think there is, you're making a click. There is something. I think it's Chris. There's something going it's Chris. on. I don't know what's going on. It's Chris's movement. It's, it's like based paper. on his movements. I don't know. It's like yeah, see, it's shake, see he's shaking his head and it's going, Ken, it's it's Chris when he shakes his head and stuff. Watch. Oh, you Do know, you it's, your mic, it's, it's your mic on your zipper. It's your mic dude. on your mouth. Your mic is touching the zipper on the other side. I'm sorry. It was pretty. Yeah, it's gone now. It's gone now. Oh, man. Just, pull, just pull your cock out. One more zipper. All right. Um, Ken, how far back should we go? Asking about Jesse Marsh and watching the Premier League. It was, I mean, what you said was so good. That's why I hesitated to interrupt. But, man, it was was pretty obvious that it was – it was loud. So if you could go back, I'd love for you to revisit what you just said because it was good. Sure. Okay. I would even – Kevin, I would even do like kind of a hard follow to – Clemente, you know. Oh, we'll start there. Mind, okay, you know? I, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. That would make just, that the it started at that point, and it just kept going at that okay. point. Okay. But it's okay kept, now. Chris was even more okay involved, now. so okay. yeah, yeah, it's much better. Got it. Now. Got so it. That was just. We're good. It was right on your zipper. It was right on your zipper. All right. Ready? All right. Yeah. Three, two. All right. Great stuff from Clemente there, uh, Chris. I'm going to delve into that that book a little deeper. I didn't have time to read the, the whole thing through. I had to kind of skim through it because he was coming on the next day. But uh, you know, what I think is amazing about someone who can write the history of the world cup like that, especially for an American audience where they might not realize the, the global, the national implications to a team winning, losing, how it, how a nation's mood is based on their team, you know, like for the terrible stories about when Brazil lost that world cup, there were, there were actually suicides that, you know, attributed to it. And um, all the things where politics mash in with, with the game itself. And we have the Super Bowl here and everyone's like, Oh, it's the biggest thing ever. But I, the world cup is like, it's the Super Bowl times what? 10. Uh, also you put in the sort of nationalistic Olympic sort of feeling uh, and it only happens every four years. It's a big, big deal. Um, and I think for Americans to read a book like this and sort of say, Oh wow, these, these, this is what Italy was going through then. And this is what that team and that cup represented in France. I mean, me being in France in 98, um, it brought that country together. I mean, there was a problem with North Africans, which were the, it was the immigrant thing that they were talking about and nobody wanted to watch it. And the game was old and, uh, now France is not going to do well. Our team is terrible. And then they started to win. And I watched an entire nation, uh, come together, a nation that I knew very little about. Yeah, I had, I was in Europe, I think for 82 in that summer in that world cup. And I saw when the celebrations go on for the, for the month long event and also for what what it was like for these for these fans to, to actually experience a winning team. Right. And when that happens and to see the whole country stop when a team plays and to see a whole country celebrate when a team wins, you know, to see that in person, it's it's mind blowing. Cause it's it's we, we get that here, like if an NBA team wins or you have a ticker tape parade or something like that. Like there's a day and it's only involves that city. But imagine a whole country and the passion yeah. that, that yeah. wields. It's wild. 
you know, and again, with again, I go back to France because they win the cup in their home nation. Uh, the Champs Elysees is just jammed. I'm out there that night. You know, it was a blast. Uh, I think uh, Castile Day was the next day as well. So um, the whole country was going crazy. So everybody I talked to in France is talking World Cup and going nuts. Nobody's sleeping. Everybody's going crazy. I get in a cab. I go to the airport. Um, I fly to back to JFK. The cab driver, I was working for Fox at the time. I was on air for Fox and the cab driver's like, hey, it's Kevin Flynn. How you doing? You know, I don't know what kind of accent that is, but um, some, I think he was actually Jamaican. Hey, man, Kevin Flynn, how you doing? So I'm like, hey, how's it going? He, was, he had watched what I had done on television. I get to my, my apartment complex there and the doorman's Croatian. He's like, oh my God, I watched you every day. You know, that's great, great, great. And I thought, wow, people really watched. You know what? Nobody else noticed it or mentioned it. I'd gone to the two yeah. foreign guys, the Jamaican and the Croatian, and they had watched it. But I go up to my apartment. My ex-wife barely knew about it. What? Where were you? I thought you were gone for a while. <laughs> it's different now. It's different now with the yeah. amount of uh, soccer we have on television and with all the fans and the support of MLS now. I mean, we have – it's a mothership. You know, our, our fandom is huge, and I think – the ratings will be bigger than ever. Uh, we have a lot more access to all the teams in the in the world and all the players. Yeah, and this is Messi's last World Cup, likely Ronaldo's last World Cup. I mean, this is massive storylines, and I hope all the right storylines come out of Qatar, right. not all the right. the negativity that could happen. Hopefully not. All right, so put your coach's hat on here for a little bit. I want to get a little update on what you're thinking. Um, you know, you and I talked on this show about Tim Ream. We thought he would be pulled in. Now he wasn't in, in qualifying at all. Yet the two of us were like, wait a minute. He plays a central defending position for Fulham. He's done well. He's consistent. Um, and that's where they were having a little bit of trouble. Uh, Aaron Long hasn't quite come back from that ACL injury. As much as a stud as that guy is, um, I think he's about a year off maybe from peaking. Or, you know, sometimes, Chris, you know, this is a coach or, and as a player, guys sometimes never come back from that injury to have that uh, exact speed or uh, quickness that they once had. Um, what I think is interesting, which I think American fans are starting to understand, which I think a lot of other countries, they understood this a long time ago, whoever's the hot hand gets the call. You know, you, you can be playing great, but if you're not playing well the year up to the World Cup or the six months or the four months up to the World Cup, two months maybe, uh, you don't get the call. And I think this is the first time America's had some like, wow, uh, you know, who's been let off that, you know, who's off the team? Because you remember Ricardo Pepe, a great kid. I loved every interview this kid did. He has a really bright future. Uh, you got to earn it at the next level. And we were all pulling for him. But I felt like a lot of the, the, the people out there were sort of saying like, he's the, he's the wonder kid. He's the new Messi. It was like, wow, he was, what is he? He's 18 or I think he's 19 now. So he was 18. And it's like, give this kid a chance to develop. Steve Davis down in Texas was writing about that. I remember, you know, people were like, no, he's going to score 10 goals in the world. Cup. It's like, no, relax. He's, he's, you know, he's 19. So obviously he kind of came on uh, a little bit stronger um, with his European play in the last, I'd say six weeks. And maybe it was just a little too late. Yeah. I mean, there's form and then there's quality and certain players are going to make rosters because they're just better than the other player. Mm -hmm. But when players are somewhat similar, then you can lean on form a little bit. And when you hear Greg Berhalter speak about it after the fact, you know, I think they really rated Josh Sargent's experience, uh, you know, at that level, Premier League championship level, the stuff that he's been doing the last few years, and they rate the goals that he's scoring 
to be more valuable than the goals that, you know, Pepe is scoring right now in that league. And it's, those are different leagues and, and, and that's a part of this. Let, let me ask you that because Josh Sargent is the type of player. I mean, I watched him play in the youth level. I've watched him play in the Prem and he has seemed to, I, this could be my imagination, but he seems to have slimmed down a bit and he seems to play the ball faster. Um, I think he used to play with his back, you know, to the net a lot more. And he still can do that, but he just seems to be um, to, to not get caught with the ball at his feet as much, uh, just to play quicker. And there's a period of adjustment, right, when you're playing that league. Yeah, you you have to, otherwise you can't survive. And so, as a young player, he's been kicked into that pool, and and he's had to play quicker, faster, be more efficient. And he has shown signs that he can and and will adjust and be able to get to that next level. Not everyone can. You know, now, is there another level and another level? Sure, there are other levels. Will he hit those? We don't know. But for the time being, you know, he's done enough to make this squad. Going back to what you said again about Tim Ream, you know, I, I think this is, that's a no-brainer. I think he's the most stable yeah. choice and a choice that we, we said he had to make. And I wouldn't be surprised if he starts not just one game, but maybe more than one game, maybe the first and the third, um, yeah. and potentially put Aaron Long into that middle game against England. Uh, that wouldn't be surprised me to see that. Really? That's interesting. I mean, look, I think the 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 beef with him was his lack of speed on the outside, but it was a different formation, right? That they were trying to push him with a, the, two, what was it, the two-back system or did they have? Yeah, I mean, in wingbacks, back? he's not a wingback. I think he's a right. center back in two, and I think that's probably how they'll like to play is in a 4-3-3, and so they need to pair someone with Walker Zimmerman, and, you know, the Aaron Long thing hasn't necessarily gone great, and so now they're, okay, maybe we'll use him, but not for all three games, and if we need anyone to plug and play on short notice, Tim Ream is the person in this pool. Um. You know, Adams, I thought, played well this weekend. I mean, he's the kid's all over the field. It'll be nice. Uh, so he's remained uninjured. Uh, McKenney seems to be back. Jo, you know, uh, I had my friend, he's an Irish guy, uh, just loves Brendan Aronson. He's a big Leeds fan. He just said, I'm so sold on this kid. It's unbelievable. And then he just talked about the amount of work Tyler Adams did. He said he's the type of player people don't even notice all the great things he's doing, you know, Um you know, as they say, I, when I explain the indoor league, people used to say a blocked shots for a defender was a big, a big uh, stat. And I'm like, if you're a good defender, your guy didn't receive the ball, right? I mean, you either inter- intercepted the pass or you didn't let him turn and shoot, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of things that certain players don't get uh, noticed uh, by. You know, I was watching a, a special on Larry Bird. Uh, the other day and talked about his greatest game ever. And it wasn't all the players talked about, you know, when he scored all these points and, you know, um, the last minute shots and all that stuff, they, they, and Larry Bird said, no, this was my best game when he had, he had a triple double, but he, he basically said, I, I just was playing good D I was stealing passes. I was getting rebound. It just doing a little bit of everything where that was the best game I ever had. Not, you know, I would say like in soccer, especially the goal scorer gets all the glory. Um, and, uh, and the goalkeeper, unfortunately gets a lot of glory if they win and a lot, if they lose, it seems like every shot is a fluke. Um, Zach Steffen not being on the list. Uh, did that surprise you? We talked a little bit about it last week. I, I think my, my question to you, Chris is like, does this change the, the strategy of young players going over? It's like, yeah, it's fine to go over and wow, you're with a great big club, but, uh, you got to pick the right club. 
No, I don't think it changed the strategy. I mean, there's nope. paychecks involved and you can't pass on that. And he still was getting opportunities last year, but I think City felt he needed to reset. And so now he found uh, a loan where he could play leading into the World Cup cycle. There's got to be more to this story. I don't think we know everything. I think mm-hmm. if everyone's healthy and fit, he's certainly a top three goalkeeper in the United States. Um, yeah. So if he's not being selected for that, Either they feel that Turner's number one and that the, he won't be a good citizen as a number two, which I hate to say. Oh, interesting. No, that, that's a yeah. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Just speculating there. Just have yeah. no idea what they're really thinking there. Um, but if he wants or expects to play, but they don't want to and they want to play Turner all three, then it, they may feel like the, the core of goalkeepers is better off without him um, because they'll be very happy with a number two and a three who want to be a number two and a three. And what's your take on that with a goalkeeping position? I see the way they do if the like especially the Premier League with the Champions League, they split up the goalkeeping duties. Seems like the World Cup is such a short period of time. You, you keep your keeper with a hot hand, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I I come from a different approach, which is, you know, you get the best possible players and it's your job as a coach to keep them all on the right track to perform. And, and yes, there's going to be egos, but yeah, you want egos. Egos are a part of being a good player. So, you know, for me, you're grabbing the three best goalkeepers uh, form is part of it, but not everything. Um, I just don't know if they feel like his fitness is not quite there or there's something going on behind the scenes that they don't feel like from a locker room perspective that it makes sense. Um, but again, don't know. I'm on the outside looking in here and uh, I'm he, surprised because from a talent perspective, he's, he's certainly it. a top three goalkeeper. Yeah, he's had some injuries too. So it could be that. Hey, I was, I was, uh, I guess I saw it yesterday for the first time a Bose speaker commercial with Christian Polisic playing the guitar. Do you see that? I love it. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, he's, he's certainly, he's got a few out already. I think it is. So he's, uh, he's going to be able to, cash in on this and and he missed it in the last cycle there was a payday in the last cycle because he would have been you know the the poster boy for for that world cup as well and he we didn't qualify so he didn't miss that but i'll tell you what with the world cup expanding we'll never miss a world cup again so you know all these guys will get their payday right well i think most people don't realize that it's like winning the world cup when you qualify for some of these countries and Americans yeah. will never wrap their heads around that one. It was interesting. I watched the first half of the women's game uh, and they went down one nil came back for with a two, one win. I, you know, I see um, a little bit of um, growing pains maybe with the women's national team. Yeah. The, they beat Germany, but let's, Let's be direct. I mean, they, they just lost to Germany a few days before. So it was yeah. a two-legged affair. And, and you know, the first one's always got a bit more bite to it, right? And, yeah. and Germany won that one. Uh, and we lost to Spain. And we lost to England. We lost three in a row. And, you know, we've, we've not done that before. And, and so there have been some comments about the group and the hunger in the group. And I'm not so sure. I mean, that might be a part of it. Um, but also the rest of the world is just simply catching up. And you don't, you don't win these games all the time now. Yeah, and I, I don't think most people realize that. I think they've set uh, unrealist, unrealistic expectations in the sense that they're, they're this dominating force in soccer. And it was like, well, most of the other countries weren't playing, and now they are. Um, so you're going to have more competition, and it's going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. Just yeah. like it is Brazil, it's their national, it's their religion, and yet they they don't win the World Cup every four years as fantastic as they are. It's just the way it, it, it all works. So, um, yeah. All right. So I, I just wanted to remind everybody on over the ball here that that Chris and I, and along with Octane Media and Soccer America, are going to do some special broadcasts 
all throughout the World Cup. We're going to give quick, concise roundups uh, after games, uh, some group stage play, especially after the United States plays. So uh, look for those. They'll be they'll be sh- much shorter but they'll be pretty uh, tight and concise and we'll just keep you up to date with all our thoughts on the world cup as we move forward. I'm looking forward to that, Chris, aren't you? Yeah. World cup's exciting and to be able to share it and talk about it, you know, nowadays we can uh, get to that really quickly. And so it'll be fun to see everyone's opinions yeah. on this stuff. Yeah. We don't have to talk about all my other bullshit. We'll just get right to the stuff that matters. So uh, <laughs> you as a coach and me as an aging comic. So, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have on over the ball for Chris Shamanis. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we will talk to you next time on OTB. I'd like to thank our guest, by the way, uh, Clemente Lissy, uh, with his great new World Cup book. Uh, you guys, you remember the name, guys? It's too long for me to remember. I don't have it in front I of me. I do remember the name. It's the FIFA World Cup, a history of the planet's biggest sporting event. You don't remember the name. That is such bullshit. You read it off I of just something said it. I didn't have the notes. <laughs> I just said uh, it. Uh, you did. You said it as you read yeah. it. You read it and yeah. said it. All right, everybody. Hold on. Hold on. You want me to remember it again? history of the planet's biggest sporting event <laughs> i have so many uh windows open on uh, my computer i couldn't get to it quick <laughs> enough so all right guys thanks a lot i'll talk to you everybody next week on OTB. call or text us at 424-229-2247 that's 424-229-2247 